Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. zone. Thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. You know the drill. It's Andrew Coppins. It's Pat Oni alongside me for this Thursday edition, Uncomfortable Truths on this Thursday Welcome into Critical Thinking. I can be followed on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Getter, at The Coppin Show. He is at The Pat Oni Show. How are you doing this morning, Pat? Are, are you with us? I, I, I'm with us, um, but it, uh, hopefully I stay with us this time because it, for those that, that don't know and wouldn't know because we, you know, you're the producer that you are there, Andrew Coppins. My internet has been horrible and it made producing a show yesterday a nightmare. Um, so hopefully it holds out today, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> All right. So on this uncomfortable truth Thursday, um, you know we had talked about um, something on Monday, right? And it was the mm. stock market, and we we didn't want to touch on the topic on Monday because, well, frankly, it's a rabbit hole that I could easily go down. But I don't know if we would do it justice. So what are we going to do? Well, we reached out to our resonant chief economist on Mojo Five O Radio. Dang it, Chris. I identify as science, otherwise known as um, at Rhino Hunting on Twitter and other areas. That is right. The one, the only Chris is joining us from the Off-Track Syndicate. Yes. yeah, The Whiskey Six Gang. Good morning. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Yep. Uh, thank um, you so much for joining us. Yep. And uh, yeah, um, I'm are you okay with being called the resident chief economist of uh, Mojo Five O Radio? Um, on the shows that I you know participate in now, uh, Defenders Live and previously on uh, Off Track, I I didn't ever use the education that I have, but I do have a, an educational background that you could use me as an economist. I have uh, an MBA with a concentration in finance and uh, a bachelor's degree with a focus in man- uh, business management. So I've well, I've studied the the economy classes. I love economic theory, and uh, I really love making spreadsheets and throwing numbers in them and manipulating them. My wife says that it's a sickness or an illness, but I like it. Um, with that, Pat, I have to withdraw a comment I made on the show yesterday. 
You are what, not what's that? you are not the biggest nerd on this show. I'll 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 agree to disagree, but you know <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Different kind of nerd. I, I don't <laughs> think Ricky's question is nerd dumb. Look at the shirt he's wearing. Oh, by the way, exactly. have you ever what, what have you ever seen you? what what uh, what happened to Pat for his birthday this year? No, what happened to Pat on his birthday this year? Uh, go, oh, go to his Facebook page. I don't I don't have the video loaded up anymore, Pat. So you're lucky, but uh, but. Uh, he loves his wife. Oh boy! Was there, was there a video <laughs> of Patrick enjoying some beverages? No, 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 not not beverages. It's more like Legos. <laughs> My wife bought me a Star Wars like like there's a there's a collectible set. Okay, and she bought me the Darth Vader uh, like Lego helmet. Yeah, oh, so like you build God. the helmet and yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Stage five. Yeah, there's no way his his nerddom is not questionable. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what is questionable right now? The stock market. That's what we're here to talk about. Because earlier this week yeah. we saw a thousand point drop in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you know, for me, I've been involved with the stock market and and understanding that it it is a game, if you will, right? You are playing a game by investing in the stock market. I've understood that since I was about 16 years old. Um, I would sit at home and while I couldn't technically invest because you must be 18 years or older uh, to open an account for that, um, I would play along with my dad and um, you know I would play invest money and watch what my investments would have done until I turned 18, and then I opened an account. Um, and I worked at a stock brokerage for four years of college, right? So in between breaks and all that wonderful goodness, I, I, so I understand that this is a game, right? And my theory behind all of what's been going on is that um, the game is being found out. And that's why we're starting to see these precipitous drops is that people are starting to take a look at the valuations of these companies and go, wait, what? This is funny money. This isn't making any real sense. There's nothing real about this. And we're starting to see people go, maybe we should get back to some reality. That is my theory as to what we're seeing and why that thousand point drop on Monday doesn't necessarily worry me, but it should worry the average investor because it is real money for them. I don't I don't know that it alone is the game that we're talking about here. Um, I think more broadly, our macro economy is kind of a game and funny money at this point. Um, the government prints trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, calls it quantitative easing. They just threw all that money into the economy. Um, they haven't raised an interest rate in more than a decade now. Mm-hmm. And that isn't because they're trying to stimulate the economy or because they want to help you and me buy a house with low interest rate. That's because the federal government has racked up now close to $30 trillion in debt. And when you apply a quarter of a percent interest rate hike to a quarter of a, you know, to $30 trillion, that's not a rounding error. That's a significant dollar figure. The debt service the United States is going to have to pay when those interest rates start to rise a little bit, 
I think stands a real good chance of crashing the economy if they don't print a whole crap ton of more money and negate the in you know the the work they're trying to do of slowing down inflation. Now, to your point a little bit ago when you said that it's kind of funny money in the stock market, I think that some of our large company valuations aren't necessarily overblown or you know funny money, so to speak, but that people have priced in inflation to the stock market long before it ever hit the rest of our economy. So mm-hmm. is Amazon worth a thousand bucks a share? Well, maybe not, but does it take a thousand of our devalued dollars to buy one share of Amazon? Maybe. Yeah, and, uh, I, and I agree with you. I think that you know, you're spot on with the the debt service and all of those things because w- we had um, the head of the Fed come on yesterday and give us some comments, right, about what's going to be happening here. And right. y- you talk quantitative easing, and I think that was the economic theory at play for a while here, but we're not seeing economic quantitative easing. We're seeing modern monetary theory in practice right now. That's what we're seeing. And it, it, we have... Uh, uh, Here's the unfortunate truth. We we went down the uncomfortable truth really for me is that we went down the path of modern monetary theory before people who um have better things to do than pay attention to economic theory knew knew what was happening. And once we're down that path, I don't know how you get off of it without all of the harshness that comes along with this failed theory. I don't know how you do it because right now I think we have something like nine trillion dollars, right, in circulation. Our 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 money supply is nine trillion dollars. Yeah, the M one money supply is is insane. It's we have to get to about huge. two trillion to avoid inflation, right? So we're talking seven trillion dollars having to be pulled out of the monetary supply. How do you do that without a crap ton of pain? You don't. Um the the economic collapse that's going to be required is what a lot of people refer to as the great reset it's going to happen at some point there isn't a stopping it i don't believe the our government our politicians are just slow walking the collapse at this point um you know, people in the, the stock market, everybody's freaked out a little bit here over the last week. A thousand point drop. Oh, my good Lord. The news feeds everybody's fear. Mm-hmm. If you take a step back and you take a look at the Dow Jones and you or the NASDAQ or the S&P, any major index, and you pull back to a one year view. We're still like 12, 15 percent higher than we were one year ago. You know, right. everybody's taking all their money out of the stocks and throwing it into a money market right now because, oh, it's going to collapse and crash. No, it's just adjusting right at the moment. Calm down a little bit. It's uh, we're not at collapse just yet. Yeah, we're not, uh, you know, Black Monday. We're not Black Friday even. Right. We're, not, we're nowhere near those numbers. And I don't think we necessarily will get there. If we do, it's going to be a slow, painful decline to that the fed realizes what they're going to do to the economy by introducing a little bit of interest they're going to have to pull it back because otherwise the the ride's over the only reason the stock market survives and thrives right now is all the free money basically that the 
the Fed's been allowing into circulation. When they stop the money train, the stock market's going to stop. People are going to move back to the safety of bonds because there'll be a little bit of an interest rate right now. Nobody's been interested in bonds for the last decade plus because the interest rates are garbage. Yeah, especially on the treasury bonds and the T-bond side. That's what you got to pay attention to. The only place to make money right now is the stock market or the crypto exchanges. I, I enjoy playing in the crypto exchanges. You and me both. I, I, I've enjoyed putting some money that I know I, I would have spent elsewhere into that yep. and just let it ride, right? Let it go. Watch it. Maybe play around with how much you're invested in one versus another and, and, and have yep. some fun with that. But, but that's for you and I who might be a little more seasoned when it comes to understanding what this is all about. But when yeah, you, you talk about... I encourage you, if you want to play with crypto, think of it as going to the casino. Right do now, absolutely, 100%. Do not, do not put any more money into it that you could afford to just flush down the toilet. Yep, absolutely. Don't, don't go betting what you need to pay for your bills. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Um, Pat, before I get to your questions here, um, I have one more. You mentioned the Great Reset. One of the things yeah. that we have made the theme of this show for this year is get used to different. And when everybody is fearful of the Great Reset, right? And a lot of people on the right have talked Good about it, it as a very fearful thing. And this is what I talk about or what I mean by get used to different. Does the Great Reset necessarily mean that it's going to be bad? Potentially, yes. Potentially, yes. But if we are paying attention, if we are paying attention to what is going on and we on the right or in libertarian circles are paying attention, there's opportunity because what you need to do if there is a great reset come, fill the void. If we have the opportunity to fill the void with more freedom with more uh, free market economics instead of the control. We have to avert the Great Reset to be able to do that. Hmm? The Great Reset. So we have to be able to avert the Great Reset in order to be able to insert the freedom. Yes, and and that's what I mean by getting used to different here, is that we can't just think of... focused on taking away all private property rights. Exactly. And so there's an opportunity, if you know that they're attempting this, to use it to your advantage to give us more of that life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But it takes a different mindset than exists right now. Can you think of something economically that could be something to coalesce around to not necessarily avoid the Great Reset, but to look at what might be coming and um, use it to the advantage of liberty? The liberals have used our schools for more than a century now to indoctrinate children to dumb them down so that they wouldn't understand the great reset when it was coming at them and they wouldn't understand modern economic theory modern monetary policy because a focus on economics has not been in our school system a focus on can you budget can you do a checkbook can you do your own taxes has not been in our school system. Children don't know these things. They don't understand them. Um, 
here at some point in the future, I'd like to approach one of my local tech schools. I've got a master's degree now. I could teach. I'd like to teach economics. I'd like to teach economics to 18, 19-year-old minds and help them to understand what's going on here. I think in order to avoid or, or take people to liberty, first they have to see the problem in front of them. I think we've got a lot of our population waking up and seeing some of the problem in front of them. Joe Biden's approval numbers and Kamala Harris's approval numbers and the Democrat Party <laughs> approval numbers at large, I think point very clearly to everybody going, well, you know, the media told us Trump was bad, uh, but this buffoon is screwing stuff up beyond repair. Yep. Inkerman's presidency is uh, is not a lot of fun. And that's the theory we have on this program, by the way, Chris, is that we just have Anchorman, literally all three of the main characters of Anchorman, right? You've got the weatherman, uh-huh. you've got the yep. the sports guy who just yells out weird catchphrases, and then you've got the guy who just reads whatever the heck is on the teleprompter in one person. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, Whammo. man. Whammy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think education is a, is a key component to this. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the the technical side of this, right? Technical school side of this, because what is not necessarily taught to these people are the skills to run a business are a skills is the skill set. And I know this because, um, I have a cousin whose husband, um, spent about five, six years working at an HVAC company and started his own business. In the first three or four years, he felt like he was flying blind. He didn't know what he was doing uh, on the business side. If he did, it might have been a less rocky road at the beginning. And that's the one piece of that puzzle that I think if we can teach, not necessarily economic theory, but the basics of building uh, a business, building some of these things that we would have um, an advantage going forward when it comes to things like the Great Reset. I don't think we can avoid it. I honestly think we, we, we're we too far down the modern monetary theory road. We're too far down the debt service road. We're too far down all of these things to avoid what is coming. It's how do you maybe find a way that once we hit that bottom, that we're there to build it better, right? We are there to build it with liberty when when the bottom falls out. Pat, I know you've got a couple of questions. We're, we're actually going to build back better? <laughs> <sighs> at, at least not Joe Biden's way, but um right. So so I'm uh I'm one of those 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 guys that when when I was growing up, you know, we we didn't really learn taxes. We didn't really learn I mean, we we learned a little bit. We learned some like very basic concepts. But like to really understand the stock market, to really understand how to invest, where to invest, where to sell, you know, like like all the strategy that goes behind it. You know, we, we didn't really learn those kinds of things per se. Um, looking at this, though, I mean, because I, I, I actually don't have anything in stocks currently. Um, but looking at this, I, I, I saw this the other day and I told Andrew, I said, you know, I'm I'm actually kind of glad I don't have anything in stocks right now, because I I had a feeling that I probably would have lost my my ass on on the whole thing. But nah. look looking at this, I mean this is this is the question that I had, and I think we've kind of hinted at this already. Where is is this not kind of a 
a signal that we are headed back down towards basically like the 1929 crash. I mean, I know we're nowhere close right now. I know we're higher, but are we headed down that direction? Eventually, perhaps. Eventually, perhaps. Uh, This is what I spoke about a bunch earlier when I said that a little bit of our market freakout right now is emotionally driven nonsense. Um, Absolutely. Everybody taking the the Facebook post that I've read in the last week of my friends saying, I just moved all my high-risk investments over to the stable funds. You buffoon. Um, This is a small market freakout. It's going to climb again. You just guarantee that you're not going to get the profits when it does. Because you're going to wait to see it climb a little bit before you're like, oh, I guess it's back. And then move it out of the money market back into the the high risk. You, You just cost yourself money. If you take a look at the Dow Jones just by itself over a five year average, it's up 70%. Five years, 70%. Okay. Now, if you look at the peaks and valleys of it around 2018, there was a thousand point correction. Around 2019, there was another thousand point correction. Mm-hmm. In early 2020, there was a much bigger correction than we're looking at right now. We're talking multi-thousands of points. It dropped from close to 30 to below 20. A 10,000-point swing there. And then it climbed again. I don't think we're at a, uh, a absolute freakout point right now, but the markets are much more driven on emotion than they are on people thinking with their head and using analysis to value the companies. So is this, is this much more of a norm now than, than what it was before? Or is, are we seeing more of a norm with this? It's been this way for all of the time that I've been paying any significant uh, Mm -hmm. focus on the stock market. I started eight years ago, nine years ago now working at a, a mutual fund company. And that, that's probably when I really started paying attention to markets and they've been fluctuating more and more and more on emotion and news stories. Emotions and news stories shouldn't play into the valuation of a company. Let's take a look at their financials. Is this company solid? Do they have cash reserves? What's on their balance sheet? How much are they actually worth? Yeah. Yeah, it, what their stock price should be based on. Yeah, great example of that, Chris. Could you tell me what a what Apple's uh, PDE ratio is? No, <laughs> right? No, you no, used no, to be able to. I don't know what their PDE ratio is. Yeah, a, a great example. Apple good. Yeah, a great a great example. Twenty years ago, if you saw the PDE ratio, if you saw the price to earnings ratio of a company right. hit over twenty, get the hell out, right? Um, now what's a P what's a PE ratio? <laughs> you know, right. it's like, it's like uh, Matt Walsh. What's a woman, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, no, I'm being honest about that because these are, these are things that people should look at before they buy a stock. But yeah. I would bet that there's nobody listening to the sound of my voice right now that has looked at a PE ratio, a debt to equity ratio or return on investment ratio. When picking a stock, or they've just invested in a mutual fund and trusted that a money manager is going to do the job for them. 
Yeah, and a great example of this is uh, how many of us have seen, raise your hand, and, and, and you can do this in the audience as well, if you've seen a commercial for a company called public.com. <clears throat> you definitely have if you've watched an NFL game. Oh, I don't pay attention to the commercials in an NFL game. I play Pokemon Go when those come on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Um, yeah, but... I haven't heard as well. I didn't, I didn't dispute that earlier. This is true. This is true. Now, um, to that point, though, public.com is a trading platform that allows people to feel good about the investments that they make. God, it's a social justice. It, it's all about these invest in the companies that that share your values. Is that somewhat true? Potentially. But here's how I know how to invest in a company, and I've said this for 20 years now. Do I use the product? Yep. Do I believe in the product? If so, I should invest in it. If not, get out of it, right? A great example of this was uh, was Apple, right? I, I loved using Apple starting in about 2007 or 8. I invested starting then. <laughs> and on that final note... Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Dang it, Chris. I identify as science. Uh, how can people find you <laughs> all over social media? Ah, um, well, I uh, participate with the uh, the show Defenders Live, so you can find me at DOA Show. Um, you can find me at Rhino Hunting. Uh, dang it, Chris. I identify as science. That's pretty <laughs> much it. I also am on you know, Facebook and all that other jazz. Find me if you want to. Don't find me if you don't want to. Have a great day. On that note, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we hope to have you back on relatively soon. So, of course, thank you so much to Chris Branham for joining us. Uh, Pat, your reaction to the talk of the stock market, the the broader economic reality um, whatever Chris had to say. Sure. Uh, so the bottom line is this for me is first of all, I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to the stock market or on any of that kind of stuff. I, I'm, I've never really been much of a numbers or a money guy. Um, it, it's all kind of math data. All that stuff has always been a little bit above my head. Um, not so much in recent years because I've made an effort to better understand these things, but the stock market has always been something that's kind of eluded me a bit. And um, when I saw, you know, some of the, what was going on on social media the other day and uh, in reaction to the, the thousand point drop in the Dow Jones, um, I was kind of right there with, I think with a lot of people like, Holy crap, like this is not good. But then Chris brought up a really great point. Like, you know, we all need to take a step back for, for two seconds and and really take a hard look at this and understand we're still in a much better place than what we were a year ago two years ago um we are flat out um it, are we headed back down you know the road of you know a 1929 collapse not yet you know um maybe if we are it's a, it's going to be a slow very painful thing it's not going to be this just all of a sudden holy crap, everything just crashed. I don't think it's going to end that way. Um, but I yeah, think... To, to that point, Pat, I, mm -hmm. I, I want to I wanna 
jump in and just emphasize something real quick sure. here because if you study the 1929 crash, the fundamentals of who is invested in the marketplace is very different than in 1929. 1929, a lot of this was precipitated by, number one, the gold standard. Mm. Um, number two, by speculation. Okay. And number three, a lot of people were investing based off of credit. Okay. Right. And right. what mm. was happening with that credit is that they were investing and in getting a they were hoping for a better than 12% return because of what was happening with how they got credit, right? The credit might be at eight, 9% interest. They needed to make 12, 15, 20% interest to be able to pay back the loan at the end of the day. We don't necessarily have that kind of, we have other kinds of speculation going on in the marketplace, but it's different. And so everybody wants to, to to a b compare and they're they're apples and oranges they're, these are not the same we do live in a precarious situation and we have to tread lightly to avoid that level right. of collapse right right but because i think the other thing that's going on in the back of people's minds is is this may not be 1929 but is this going to be more like 2008 um, yeah, yeah, and, I, and I've even experienced that in the real estate market, right? People are like, well, right. what happens if it's 2008 all over again? Then buy or sell now. That's my response. Right. Do it now, and guess what? You're not going to hit the 5% interest rate anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you're going you're gonna to be in at three and a half or three and three quarters of, uh, you know, 3.75%, right? Right now mm -hmm. versus being at five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half percent, right? We're never going to be, you know, in the 1990s where it was 10, 12% interest on your on your mortgage. Right. That's not where we're going. But a 2% difference in your mortgage payment is hundreds of thousands of dollars at the end of the day. Right. And so the, the point in the real estate market being it is a stable thing if you are in it now. If you think that you're going to play the game six months from now or a year from now, I don't know what to tell you in terms of waiting. Could you end up in that 2008 scenario? Yes, you could if you continue to wait. And this is coming from me, a licensed realtor. Okay. Right. I have to always disclose that because mm -hmm. um, stupid ethics and, and, and uh, um, law in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, I'm telling you this as a professional. If you have questions and you are considering whether or not you want to move, whether or not you want to buy or sell, the answer is to do it now on both sides of that transaction. Don't wait. The one thing I will say this, though, is, and I wish I could have asked Chris this, is the stock market is still a good place to start investing some money. From For all intents and purposes and from some of the answers that he gave, I would say the answer is, Likely, yes. It would depend on the stock. Mm -hmm. um, it would depend on, and, and like I liked what you said too about, do you actually use the product? Because if you use the product, you believe in the product. Like, like you should be looking at things like that. But I, I think I don't think that you should just freak out, pull all your money out. Maybe pull some things out, but if especially if they're in bad stocks that have been trending down for a while, right? Diversifying but, your portfolio is different right. than I'm going to stick it into the money market. I, right, does nothing for you. Because and the other thing people have to realize, if you are invested in the, the market, right, 
whether that's through mm-hmm. your 401k, an IRA, or a straight up um, stock market account. Okay. It is all funny money until you pull it out. That's the reality. It is not real money until you actually start using the money in that account. None of it's real until you sell. Mm. A great example of this for me is, you know, I invested in Boston Beer Company when I was 18 years old, Sam Adams, because it was the forefront of that craft brewing revolution that happened in the 2000s and then really exploded in the 2010s. Okay. Right. I invested when it was $9 a share. Okay. I got out at $23 a share. It went as high as $60 a share. But guess what? It is now back down to about $20 a share. I made money. I made money. Right? The, the, I could have rode it out till it was $60 and I could, could continue to own it today. But guess what? I'd actually have lost money if I would have pulled it out today. If some bots were candy and nuts, the only thing that's real is when you sell. Right. Now, having spoken on real and fake, um, I think it's time for us to play the B or not the B. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Are you ready for today's headline? I'm about as ready as for you to invite a Canadian giant weasel fan on our on our show for the second week in a row. In that case, today's headline is Dinklage tries to cancel Snow White, but comes up short. Dinklage tries to cancel Snow White, but comes up short. And while you are thinking of this, while you are thinking on this, Pat, please, folks, go and prepare. This is one of our steps on the path towards restoring liberty and reviving liberty is being prepared. And we can't emphasize this enough by going to preparewithmojo50.com. Again, preparewithmojo50.com. Get your three-month emergency food supply, your one-month emergency food supply. They have a ton of stuff over at My Patriot Supply outside of these things. But go to preparewithmojo50.com. Get yourself some food storage. Let that be a helpful thing if everything goes to hell in a handbasket and everybody is out of work and and uh, we hit the Great Depression or not. But at least you would be prepared. You would have a backstop of the most important thing, sustenance in your life. Um, because sustenance allows you to not have the desperation that can create insane things in your life. So go to preparewithmojo50.com and look to invest in yourself and the future of your family. Now, having said that, Pat, do you need the headline one more time? Uh, I don't think so. So because they, uh, I, I see what they did there. We're, I'm assuming they're talking about Peter Dinklage, um, and coming up short on on Snow White. Um, being yeah, uh, this is going to be the Babylon B. So you were picking up what they were putting down, huh? Yeah, because mm-hmm. this is the Babylon B, and you got a hundred dollars of Dominic Izzo's money. Still waiting, by the way. Yep, 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 yep. <clears throat> Hollywood, California. Beloved Hollywood starlet Peter Dinklage pushed back against Disney's live-action remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but his efforts seem to have come up short. 
Quote, I feel cut off at the legs, said the Game of Thrones star, after hearing Disney's low decision to keep dwarves in a movie about dwarves. Quote, I expected at least a teeny-weeny concession from Disney. I feel overlooked. <laughs> Our attempts at inclusion were far from minuscule, said Disney Chief Inclusion Officer Lily Pute. Uh, we consulted with underrepresented communities through every teensy minute detail, no matter how tiny, to hear Mr. Dinklage get on his soapbox and accuse us of a bite-sized effort. Well, it feels a wee bit stunted. Dinklage, who achieved stardom at, with a diminutive role in the movie Elf as a man mistaken for an elf, admitted he feels in over his head a little when overshadowed by a greedy movie executive. His experience may be proof that universal inclusion in Hollywood may be, for at least now, too high a bar to reach. I wow. am so thoroughly impressed by how many references to being a dwarf right to being a little person to being short uh were thrown in there i counted at least 50 i in like five paragraphs of that story i counted at least 50 different references to him being short yeah it's oh (laughs) i I have a question um by the way was it peter dinklage in robin hood men in tights as well not that i am aware of um it's been many years since i've seen that movie but i I don't think so the the, the thing is this is um i have a question here yes so apparently they're doing a live action remake of snow white and the seven dwarves apparently yep um and it kind of sounds like peter dinklage might be in that movie i'm guessing um is he playing grumpy why pat why i i I mean it makes sense right i mean come on i i but judging by the comments it's more like dopey i'm not saying i'm just saying Uh uh-huh uh-huh i'm trying to think of where i saw him before like elf um and i'm looking i before elf i i don't know that i i knew him before elf yeah you're right i I mean i've seen him in lots of things since elf oh yeah absolutely so i mean he was he played it oddly enough he played a giant in um avengers endgame or no avengers infinity war yeah he was also on the chronicles of narnia i remember that oh yeah 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 yeah. and yeah, x-men yeah. days uh, of future past game of, Thro- Pro- game of thrones i mean everybody knows him from that even though i never right. watched a single second of that show I uh, and i have no desire to yeah i just yeah um yeah i think that's probably where i know him best from but uh but yeah that that is hilarious well well done now this is an uncomfortable truth thursday on the show pat um since i did a lot of a lot of talking during that interview i'm gonna let you go first here uh with your uncomfortable truth yeah so i I, i've been thinking a lot about this the last since sunday no 
since la- not this previous, but last like the Sunday previous to that. Um, the, the bishop of my ward got up and uh, spoke briefly in our, our sacrament meeting, and he talked a little bit about uh, that that we we don't really have the promise of tomorrow, and we don't we don't have the promise of tomorrow. But we're you and I are also writing a book as well, and I I don't want to give too much away, but I I wanted to um disclose a little bit because I started writing some stuff down the other night and I I realized something and I, I think it's something I've always known before but it's not something that I, I think I consciously think about all the time and that is th- this idea that uh, many are called but few are chosen and uh, looking at our history and, and having talked with Steve Dace last week about some things um, got me thinking a little bit more about this as well, that there were very few people in the American revolution um, by comparison to the rest of the country at the time that, that were for the revolution in of itself that mm-hmm. were for, you know, creating our own country and our constitution and all of these sorts of things there are very few people now that are willing to stand up even on our side of the aisle that are willing to stand up against what's going on in our country right now and reviving and to truly revive Liberty and the founding principles that this country was founded upon. The uncomfortable truth that I'm trying to get to here is I think we as a people need to get used to the idea that we can no longer be complacent in this country. We have to be actively involved. It's going to come at some very difficult personal sacrifices, whether that's time with your favorite hobbies, time with your family, um, maybe doing some things that you otherwise necessarily wouldn't have wanted to do in the first place, like, running for a local office or a school board or what have you. It might mean some of those things because we have a lot of problems in our society, but we don't have enough people standing up to do something about it. And so this idea that many are called, but few are chosen is we have to start recognizing like, Hey, we all have a stake in this. We are all called to stand up to this. We are, and and it's going to be very difficult, uh, I think, for many to accept. Um, But it's also something that we are going to have to endure to the end. I mean, that that's the semblance of my thought of of an uncomfortable truth that that we are going to have to be the answer. And that's, and and rather than having it solved for us, we have to be the answer. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, And I think it encompasses our entire theme, right? Right. The point of us saying get used to different is that what has been going on hasn't been working, right? Right. And I would suggest that that is something the left and the right can both agree upon. The problem is that the, the left and right don't differ in the problem. They don't necessarily differ in the solution. And that in and of itself is the problem. And what do I mean by that? Who do they think solves the problem? 
on the left. Government. Who do you think solves the problem on the right? Government. Government. Getting used to different is exactly the point that you are making. It is not on the government. The government is supposed to be there to serve us, not us serving them. And that goes for politicians as well as their policies. And as I think about this, right, living in a city in which, you know, I am not vaccinated, I've already had COVID. Why do I, why, why can't I go to a restaurant or a bar or a sporting event, right, in the city, right? Scientifically, it makes no damn sense. I am much less likely to spread, to get, to do anything than somebody who is triple, quadruple, that, you know, jabbed, excuse me, excuse my language, Pat. <laughs> um, all of those things, right? But but my uncomfortable truth and in, in, in or to your uncomfortable truth point, what have I been advocating for? Get out of the economy then. And we talked about this earlier this week with the school system, right? In Fairfax County or other school systems that are openly defying court orders, right? So the left is great at at playing that game, right? We're terrible at it, by the way, um, on the conservative and libertarian side. We are terrible at realizing it's a aw shucks, right? I can point to maybe one or two examples of that defying nature right now. Number one are restaurants that are defying these mandates, right? And defying these things. That's great. That's grand. That's wonderful. But how but they're doing it at, at to your point, great personal. And professional cost, right? Right. Uh, across the country, by the way. The other spot that it comes to mind here is these school systems. How many of them openly defied Governor Newsom? How many of them openly defied all these other people? Right. We we have examples in New Mexico we, that we had talked about last year, right, Pat? Right. Where... Mm -hmm. They got decertified from the State Board of Education, which means that um, your diploma is not recognized by the state, which means that if you wanted to go get another degree, right, if you wanted to go on in school, tough. If you wanted to uh, declare yourself a high school graduate on an application for a job, is that necessarily true? Right? If that job asked you to provide them with a a you know verified document that tells you you're a high school graduate could you do it no that's a great personal cost but beyond that um here in 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 this environment that exists in chicago in new york city what have i talked about creating these really personal spaces right so how are we handling this as as a family We've refused to participate in your bullcrap, number one. Number two, we have figured out who our real close friends are, right? Instead of a group. So what have we decided to do? Invite them to our home. And we're going to cook food. We're going to do various different things to still be social, right? Because that's what they're trying to take away is your socialization. 
And we are, at our roots, as human beings, a social creature. And if you take that away, you drive them mad. So don't give them that power. But you also are financially hurting it, it, them right in the pocketbook at the same time. You know, we had talked about this. You know, let's say you, Pat, even you and your wife, you went out to a, a dinner, right? And you did it maybe once a week as date night, right? Yeah. Uh, in the course of a month, two, three hundred dollars, right? It's probably about an average probably. of 50 to 75 dollars, right? A, yeah, a time. Say, probably, probably somewhere in there. It depends on where we went, but yeah. Okay. So take that money out of the economy, times it by even 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people that are unvaccinated, right? That 200 times a, uh, times 10,000, that's what, $200,000 out of the pocketbooks of small businesses in the city? That also the, then forces what to happen. So, yeah, I agree with you. The uncomfortable truth is that um, that we just we have to do things differently. We have to be okay being comfortable, being uncomfortable. That's another way you, of saying that. You have to endure. You really do. And it's okay. Things will be okay. Because at the end of the day, you have to realize that you're not fighting left right you're not fighting socialism versus free markets you're not fighting republican versus democrat because at the end of the day the republican party and the democratic party are on the same side because their solutions always are government our solutions the getting used to different the all of this right that we're talking about is about us we are the solution. And the only way we allow for government, the only way we allow for the Democrats, the Republicans, whomever, to have that control is to give it to them. And you want to reorder society based on liberty? We might have to be okay with tearing it down. And then reviving it based off of liberty. The Constitution says as much, actually. Well, not the Constitution. The Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Constitution definitely doesn't say that. Yeah. Um, How many of you are are okay with, with releasing yourself from mainstream society today? How many of you believe or know of agorism? How many of you believe in counter markets? In the theories uh, of of modern uh, of modern monetary theory, right? How many of you believe in that? How many of you believe that the government will never turn on you? How many of you believe that the government is the solution? How many of you are looking that direction? I ask you to get used to different. I, I, I totally agree with your with your uh, uncomfortable truth that we have a lot more pain in front of us, but you have to be okay with that. You really do. And that what comes of that, and that's the point I was making earlier with Chris too, is that sure, the great, can we stop the train of the great reset? I don't know that we can, but when it hits the bottom, right, they already have a plan in place. 
when it hits the bottom. And that plan, whether it's Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. That plan involves central planning. Our plan involves decentralization. And, you know, we could talk about parallel poll lists. We could talk about counter markets. We could talk about all of these different things. Hell, we could talk about um, these ideas of um, of the, the, the free market, right? We could talk about creating, um, uh, what do they call them? Freedom cells, right? Little small groups. And that was my point with bringing up how we're bringing people into our home and we're creating that socialization, but it's in a really small group, right? You have to be okay with not knowing 5,000 people on Facebook, right? But if you can if you can concentrate on the 8 to 10 to 12 people in a really close group and you're all there, you're all there, does the government hold power over you anymore? Ask yourself those questions. I think it's vitally important to ask yourself those questions. Well, and, and in that group of 10 to 12 people that you're socializing with, like actually personally socializing with, you know, I, I've always had this kind of thought, like, like as an individual, I may not be able to change the world in of itself, but with those 10 to 12 people, with those few people within my social circle that I'm actually socializing with, I can make all the difference for them. They can make all the difference for me. And that in of itself is world changing. And that's the point, right, of when we bring up the founding fathers and the concept that they were revolutions, revolutionaries, it's not that they were physically revolutionaries, right? It's that they thought different and they affected change differently. They reacted to government control with freedom. Think about that. Their reaction to this, the, the, the breaking down of the system that existed, they built it back up hoping that freedom would reign. Not that government would be the answer, but that the people would be the answer. And with that, Pat, your final thoughts. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And that Chris Branham sure is smart for a Canadian giant weasel fan. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. As always, Matthew 547.